Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined, uh, so the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy! Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we'll vent about the news, go deep on one important issue, and call out terrible things happening or happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You. Then we'll end with something hopeful. Wowie zowie. Wow. How's everyone doing? What's happening? (laughs) What's we uh it's we are nearing the end of 2020. Thank Beyonce. Thank Beyonce. (laughs) Thank Beyonce. It's yeah, I mean I'm curious what 2021 will hold if it'll be I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to envision. And obviously it's not like Friday's gonna happen and then all of a sudden, you know, the the clouds part and the angels sing. But um <laughs> that might happen on January twentieth, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it might. Yeah. But I think it's just it's very um just the promise of 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 new and better and hopefulness is I think why people are excited to to start the new year just sort of a symbolic um farewell to a lot of things that have happened in this interesting year (laughs) yeah sure has been interesting sure has huh (laughs) (laughs) wow wow wowie zowie (laughs) we were both talking before this about how we're tired babies um so, FYI. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little, like, disclaimer. It's a, yeah, we're tired. Um, also, it seems that my internet is, like, not what it normally is. So, just FYI, it might, I don't know, might be degraded. At, uh, so, so <laughs> just, like, lucky you guys, you know? You're uh, mm-hmm. in for a real... <laughs> in for a treat yes 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 so you mentioned uh super gonorrhea is making a comeback (laughs) yes i saw that on infectious disease twitter and was yucked out because it's i know it's a thing i've seen articles about it it's like i've seen gonorrhea (laughs) constantly like it's just i mean they go out of their they the media the liberal media they go (laughs) they go out of their way to make those articles with the uh the resistant antibiotic resistant uh gonorrhea just seemed real scary and so i guess at the end of 2020 like the one thing i didn't need was the that fear uh although you know hopefully not a huge issue because have one partner and hopefully that's not going to be a problem but it just was like oh my god i just feel bad for the world if we have to deal with like a really nasty STI right right after yeah it's like now you guys can be around each other but wait you're gonna get gonorrhea now because <laughs> there's gonna be a I mean I wonder if the next generation after Gen Z is gonna be like baby boom to like COVIDers you know <laughs> I don't know it'll be interesting ducks we'll see we'll see what happens there um, yeah yeah super gonorrhea it's it's coming thought yeah and thought about gonorrhea in ages <laughs> well she's had, here and she's ready <laughs> if you were having a restful holiday and you thought maybe we were just going to be talking about one infectious disease um, gonorrhea we were here to pop in with one other one you know? yeah covid's gone Maria. <laughs> you know uh-huh. it'll be a transition Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> all right uh mitch mcconnell you want to talk about him <laughs> i hate like it's one of those things that now where i worry when i do start speaking about mitch mcconnell that like am i gonna get a call from like the fbi or something you know i just he's such a loathsome creature 
But as of today, this evening, when we're recording, um, you know, Mitch McConnell blocked the um, vote on the $2,000 checks. Um, Yeah. The update, I mean, broadly from like the last week has been that Trump said that he wanted the $2,000 checks for people and Democrats were like, well, yeah, we're into that. And so they made modifications. The House voted and approved the $2,000 checks. And um, Mitch McConnell has provided like vague assurances that the Senate would, quote, begin the process of discussing the checks. Um, But he was trying to sandwich in a couple of other issues that would definitely not, that would ensure that the entire bill wouldn't get passed. And that would include um, election security and removing legal protections for social media platforms uh, that, so, um, yeah, it's just going to be a complete cluster. Um, and Mitch McConnell specifically was, yeah, he also wanted to have more power, broad power to investigate like voter fraud. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on the Senate to pass the $2,000 checks. And now, uh, both the, GOP senators that are in runoff elections for January 6th are advocating for these $2,000 checks, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, which means that they're actually pretty nervous about their races, I would think. Um, I would think so. Hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of, it's just been interesting. I mean, they're also aligning with Trump. So it's frustrating because I don't know the inner workings of the Senate well enough, but I'm pretty sure that if Mitch McConnell doesn't bring, he gets to control the agenda fully. So even if there's a majority of senators that would vote for the $2,000 checks, because if we have all the Democrats plus Kelly Loeffler and like a few, because I think there are like six Republicans right now, in addition to the Dems that support the $2,000 checks, even if there is a majority in the Senate, if Mitch McConnell doesn't bring it to the floor for a vote, it just doesn't happen. It's not something that, because he sets the agenda, it doesn't matter what the majority of people want. So it's another like gross way that we're really not a democracy at all um, and certainly not a functioning one. So it's just very, it, it, it further illuminates how profoundly depressing it's been that there's nothing, nothing still has been passed since April, March or April. and you know, unemployment assistance has run out and there's lots of, uh, you know, this is a moment where it would be super helpful if uh, Congress did its fucking job and it's really shameful that this is where we're at. It certainly is. Fuck you, Mitch McConnell, as always. Um, Oh, and just, I guess, yeah, worth a mention that there is a super contagious version of COVID now. Um, the vaccine will be fine against it, uh, but it is something like 56% more transmissible, something around there. Um, Yikes. <laughs> so that like debuted in the UK and then I think it was in, yeah, in France and you're saying that now it's in Colorado, so it's everywhere and um, mask up, babies. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's bad. It's getting worse. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more important than ever. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, baby. (laughs) It's hard um, to imagine that kind of like what Dr. Fauci said, that this the next few months are gonna be like the darkest of the pandemic. I mean it's so sad because it feels like there is a fair amount of hope, like you say. Um, but with the vaccine coming, which is so exciting, but um, we have, you know, an average of what, like 2,300 people dying per day um, of COVID right now. Um, and it's the equivalent of like, 
a 9-11 every day or a Pearl Harbor every day. Um, and at this point, 326,000 people have died, 19 million infected. It's just, um, it's hard to think that things are actually going to get worse, more out of control. I was seeing things about someone dies of COVID every 10 minutes in LA County. LA County, not even in the United States, like, and how they're starting to ration care and put people and patients in the gift shop. Like, um, yeah, they're like out of ICU beds and a lot of SoCal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's only going to get, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I'm just hoping it doesn't get as bad as we think it will, and that'll get better sooner than we think it is. I mean, looks like we'll hopefully have, you know, the vaccine available to the masses by the spring. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely promising because we've, you know, got the two com- uh, Pfizer and Moderna already with, uh, with the vaccine out and there are many more in the process of clinical trials. So mm-hmm. it's looking promising. Um, yeah. Hooray, science. <laughs> Yay, research, vaccines, they save lives. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. And um, these, I guess we'll talk about these vaccines. Yeah. I mean, the plan is to talk about the vaccine this episode in different <laughs> different ways, different uh, different angles of the, the vaccine. <laughs> yes. Um, so the vaccines, they have like some slight differences, which I'll talk about, but they... Uh, are both mRNA vaccines um, and how those work is it's basically like the, uh, I'm going to super simplify, it's basically like the instructions, um, it basically gives your body like the instructions of how to protect you from coronavirus. Uh, It doesn't contain the live virus or anything like that. it's the first of its kind, actually. Um, but yeah, they have the vaccines have these strands of genetic material in them. The kind of uh, instructions I talked about that is the mRNA, um, and they there's a special coating in it, and that's actually an interesting difference between the two vaccines. Is the uh, they have a different kind of coating, and the one in the Pfizer vaccine is more fragile, and that's the reason that the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored at such cold temperatures, mm-hmm. um, whereas mm-hmm. the Moderna vaccine can just like chill in more refrigerator, <laughs> normal refrigerator uh, things. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people out there. Um, that I've seen on the interwebs who are super skeptical. They're like, well, it's been rushed. Like they can't, it can't be safe. Um, but it is, that is not the case. Like a lot of the science behind the mRNA vaccine was already being developed for other diseases like SARS, like over, over 10 years um, of research. And normally with clinical trials, it's hard to find people to recruit, but for this, it was not at all. Um, everyone want you know, it's a global, it's got global attention and everyone's afraid of, of getting it. So it was not hard at all to find people and enough people to get a really good sample size. There's no problem with funding as there usually is because, you know, you have governments saying, I'll pay millions, billions of dollars for this. Um, yeah. So there's no issue with funding. Um, again, like I said, they are not vaccines that contain, there are some vaccines that contain like a weakened version of the virus, um, but these do not. And the mRNA from the vaccine doesn't enter the nucleus of the cell at all. So it can't affect or interact with your DNA. Some people mm-hmm. are, think that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um but it's not. So they're perfectly safe. Um, and they're pretty much like either, either one you're, you're good to go. Like there's the Moderna vaccine. You take the first dose and the second dose, 28 days later, the Pfizer vaccine, it's 21 days later. Hmm. It's, It's just like little differences like that. Um, but they have the same uh, mechanism of action. It's just that little coding piece that's different. Um, but they are, it's perfectly safe. They did all the steps that you do in a, cl- in a normal vaccine trials. They just uh, combined some steps to expedite the process. For instance, they made 
they started making the vaccine before it was approved. They obviously did not distribute it yet, but normally they don't start making it until after it's approved. So it's things like that that didn't affect the safety of anything. It just Mm -hmm. made the process go by more quickly. Um, And the one thing that they don't have information on is long-term shelf life because obviously Mm. it has not been long-term yet. So there are things that are like continuing to be studied, how they'll affect kids like now they're going to be doing trials for um you know ones for 12 to 16 ones for 12 to 18 Mm. so you know hopefully we'll have the vaccine for kids soon and they'll do more studies on uh they're starting studies on pregnant women in feb in january i believe Mm. um because they don't include pregnant women in the first round so we'll just keep getting more and more information but there have been i think unless there have been a new one since i've seen it there have been like three allergic reactions to people who had histories of um allergic reactions no deaths um the risk of there's no there's no real there's no risk to the vaccine that we know of if you don't have you know certain types of allergic reactions and when you get the vaccine they monitor you for like no one's died they monitor you for any kind of any kind of reaction for 15 minutes so it's safe it's good I know it's just like inherently scary as a human because it's like this is new Mm -hmm. and (laughs) all the vaccines I've gotten have been around for a long time Mm -hmm. (laughs) like this is not a you know not like measles it's brand new so I get that it can just kind of be like scary Mm -hmm. um but it's it's safety wafy I got the first uh shot myself on Saturday um so Yep, and then 28 days later, I'll uh, get the next one, and then I'll connect to the 5G, and I'll flip the switch, and I'm going to be a sheeple, and uh, there we go. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's just so exciting um, to be in that process, and mm-hmm. um, I think also, is it, isn't it that... Um, people were a little bit skeptical, because the for the Pfizer vaccine, I think it was not all of the panel on the FDA voted yes. Like I think there were four people who voted no um, in confirming the uh, like their approval of the, of the Pfizer vaccine. And the only reason that there were four no's was because, because of their reservations on the very specific like inclusion of 16 to 17 year 16 and 17 year olds. They weren't Mm. like, didn't feel like there was enough evidence for it to be safe or, or, you know, provably safe for 16 and 17 year olds for those four people. Um, So the, and, and they were very much in the minority, but um, it's not that there were four people that said that were thinking like this vaccine is not safe period, or like I have strong reservations period. Um, So I don't know. I feel like that was like, it's a good, it's a a good clarification. A little helpful nug. (laughs) A little helpful nuggy buggy, but yeah, no, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing. And yeah, right now we're in 1A with, you know, healthcare workers at risk and, um, you know, older adults and assisted living facilities, things like that. Um, the rollout's been a fucking hot mess on a federal level. Um, just like millions of vaccines sitting in warehouses, states getting, less than they were expecting of the vaccine than having to like, you know, I, I, like there are places and health departments and stuff that are going to have to, within the 1A, are going to have to make even more like categories and, and not even do everyone in the 1A yeah. right out the gate because there's just not enough. So it's like creating these like subcategories. Like, okay, within this, who is the most? And apparently there have been like places there have been like some like medical staff trying to like jump lines where just like general madness it sounds like um but i think and hope that it'll get smoothed out i i imagine it will knock on wood um but it's just kind of (laughs) kind of par for the course of this administration that there's just kind of some federal fuckery and like, are there a bunch of interns in a basement room right now with Fox news on just like trying to figure this out? Yeah. <laughs> trying to distribute the vaccine. I, yeah, I would hope not like Jared Kushner's cousin's son or something. Yeah. 
So it's uh, <laughs> and it's a thing. Yeah, it's just it doesn't. It's not great when there's like, I mean, healthcare workers are already putting their lives on the line, um, you know, every day and doing this important critical work, and to feel like because there's shortages in vaccine and and flaws in the vaccine distribution chain, like you can't even get all the healthcare workers vaccinated in an efficient way. So leadership has to break down into further, further categorize people. And it just seems like a complete nightmare. Um, and that yeah. people, you know, you don't want that in the middle of a pandemic, people feeling like, why is this person getting it before me? Um, yeah. We don't need to add that like Lord of the Flies shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> into yeah. the mix, maybe. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but hopefully, hopefully it'll, uh, and I think it will get, get smoother. And, and it's been hard to get it to r- some rural locations, I guess. Whenever I say the word rural, I think about rural juror. The rural juror. It's been hard to get it to rural um, areas. Like there was this one doctor who just like went and got like uh, these coolers and was just like driving around in different rural areas and, um, distributing it to hospital like little like rural rural hospitals and things um but yeah it's it's gonna be hard to get it out to everyone who needs it as quickly as we want it but at the same time um it's such a it's such a visible thing and such a you know that it's I, i do think that you know, they'll get their poop in a group and we have a new administration particularly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be, <laughs> I think it'll be great. I mean, it's a huge rollout, like nothing of this size vaccine wise, you know, has happened in recent history. Um, right. So it's a big undertaking, but there's a lot of need and public pressure and, you know, like more and more companies doing their research and for their own vaccine. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, no, me too. And and even like, even in the best and most competent seasoned administration that actually was like full of good people, um, this would be incredibly challenging. I think it like, I just wasn't prepared. This this was like, I retweeted someone um, who said something along the lines of like, you know, I despite knowing that all the worst people were going to get the vaccine first, I still, for some reason, wasn't like emotionally prepared to see that picture of Mike Pence. You know, it was like, yeah, I I felt that hard. I I knew intellectually that that was going to happen. But as I was seeing the pictures of Mike Pence, Marco Rubio, like all these like fuckers who have like undermined, like constantly undermined the importance of masking and the, and the, trying to undercut the reality of what was happening with COVID all year Um, to see them get the vaccine first was, um, was troubling um, to say the least. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, you shared a really, well, chef's kiss uh, (laughs) meme that captured the moment of like on the Titanic when what's his fucking face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Uh, What's the rich, rich. Cal something or. Yeah, Cal. His suit just has the baby and is like trying to get on the fucking life rafts. You (laughs) don't deserve this yet because of your rich white man vibes. You get to just (laughs) do whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, that was... It's it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, these people who just, like, flouted mask-wearing and downplayed everything, and then just like, oh, we'd love the little vaccine, though. I don't want to get COVID. (laughs) Like, hypocrisy. It's just that, like, the hypocrisy of the right in general is one of the most frustrating things. Yeah. You don't see it right in front of you. No. Uh, No. Grinding my gears. <laughs> no, I mean, there's going to be, there already are. I mean, there's like that Alex Gibney documentary, like gone too far or under control, totally under control, I think is what it's called, like um, that he made about COVID. Like it's already out where he was clandestine 
in interviewing a whole bunch of people over the course of the year and just the facts will, I mean, as with a lot that's happening in the Trump administration that blessedly is coming to a close soon, um, you can just look back at the facts and that will point you to, I mean, you can't, the reality of this, of this past year has been so deeply shameful. The word, like the way that Trump spoke about the the virus, his lack of action, the amount of times he was golfing, the amount of times he said it wasn't real, the amount of times he undercut um, public health officials, um, you know, the amount of people that he fired because they weren't sycophantic enough. The, uh, the, his, just his, his entire, um, the way that he 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 left states to fend for themselves. I mean, just the void in leadership um, is well documented. And I think I, I do take some uh, solace in the fact that this history will be written in this era, and and we have ample documentation that that this administration fucked it up so horribly, and and. I'm so thankful for all the the researchers and scientists and, and the medical professionals that have gotten a, us through this with their their Herculean efforts on the ground and the leader the people who have shown leadership. Um, but I'm I'm just seeing these 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 sort of smug conservatives get the vaccine and behave as if this is something that they've always been taking seriously and that they perhaps deserve to be at the front of the line in some way is like something that gives me solace as I look at their stupid faces being like, took the vaccine, yay, Um, is just to be like, you, history is going to remember you and your hypocrisy and the damage that you did to this country and that will happen. Maybe it's going to be not, maybe it won't even be fully in this lifetime, but like you're a stain in the country and you will be remembered as such like eventually. Yes. I know. Hopefully, hopefully quickly we'll, we'll get our shit together and everyone will realize. Yes. I poop in a group and everyone will realize they didn't already realize that some of those people are are kind of bad and self-interested and, um, just kind of using fear tactics to rile people up so they don't pay attention to what's really happening, you know? Yeah. 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 You know, is there anything else you want to say about the vaxy waxy? Um, just that I think that you did a great job of summarizing. It's, uh, the, the, the details of why it, why it's safe. Um, and uh, I, I just hope that people get it as soon as they can, as soon as the, you know, as soon as it's their turn in, in line Um, and pay attention to how the rhetoric around the vaccine and around the coronavirus shifts as we move into this next phase and a more hopeful phase. But um, yeah, just it's safe and Oh man, <laughs> like it's nice. To, it's at least nice to be able to close 2020 with like saying like we have two safe, two safe vaccines mm-hmm. that people should take. Yeah, that's something to be grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, oh, can you imagine going into 2021 with no vaccine in sight? <laughs> like, what if it was like none of these are working? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm so glad we're on that timeline, knock on wood, but like, I know. God. Oh, maybe we're finally veering off. We're veering off the worst timeline. We're yeah. <laughs> going yeah. in a different direction. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Um, should we move chug, chug along to uh chug, chug, chug. <laughs> right. Well, and now for we see you. Okay, okay. Uh, Promising Young Woman is a new movie starring Carrie Mulligan. 
it's about her character's mission to catch men in the act of trying to date rape her when she's really drunk or so they think she's not drunk at all. And I think she kills them before they assault her. I'm quite down to watch this movie. Um, in a review for the movie for variety, Dennis Harvey ended his review with, uh, Mulligan, a fine actress, seems a bit of an odd choice as this admittedly many-layered apparent femme fatale. Margot Robbie is a producer here, and one can, perhaps too easily, imagine the role might once have been intended for her. Whereas with this star, Cassie wears her pickup bait gear. Cassie's the name of the character that Mulligan plays. Cassie wears her pickup bait gear like a bad drag. Even her long blonde hair seems a put-on. We don't care about your boner, Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie Mulligan is an odd choice to you because you think Margot Robbie is hotter. Like, okay, you said yourself Carrie Mulligan is a fine actress. She is beautiful, but that doesn't even matter. Men um, date rape all kinds of women, not just women who look like Margot Robbie. More than one in five women in the United States are survivors of rape or attempted rape, and many more have been assaulted. And the majority of them do not look like Margot Robbie. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. fine to play a role in a movie if you're not a supermodel. Um, let's see. Uh, the Variety's editors did add a note to the review apologizing and that they regret the insensitive language and insinuation in the review that minimized her daring performance. Um, I'm glad they apologized. I don't know why they published it, but (laughs) here we are. And uh, as I was reading about it, I have like a mini we see you to comment on on the article. Someone who goes by Illy May said, I'm glad she clapped back at that reviewer. Some of these professional reviews are filled with all sorts of smugness. Now, if they casted Elizabeth Moss in this role, I'd be angered because she is fugly. Mulligan is miles hotter than Moss. Like, oh my God, the point has been missed. <laughs> Leave Elizabeth Moss alone. Like a lot of people in the comments of these things were defending Mulligan's hotness rather than the idea that looking like a supermodel is not necessary to the role, um, <laughs> which is depressing. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, and there are also a lot of people who say, well, it's, I want to. I look at ugly people all day. I want to look at pretty people in the movies. There are never going to not be movies with people who are considered to be attractive in the context of that means at the time. Like, it's always going to be a thing. The idea is about broadening mm. <laughs> the types of people that are in movies so that there's more representation, it's more interesting, it's more real. And yeah, also, it's not like Carrie Mulligan does not it's just it's just also weird and sexist and awful and women should be allowed to play roles regardless of how hot Dennis thinks they are um Mm -hmm. we see you we see you yeah that was that was super frustrating I I did like that interview with Carrie Carrie Mulligan and I can't wait to watch that movie I know. (laughs) Maybe we can do a Zoom watch with the boys. That would be fun. (laughs) They'll be scared probably, but... Yeah, and then we can watch Teeth after. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, okay. Um, This one, uh, this We See You is to uh, Indiana University of Health. Um, They... uh, this is the hospital where um, Dr. Moore, uh, who is um, Dr. Susan Moore, um, complained that, or they said that she was, uh, essentially she received incredibly poor care as she was dying of COVID. Um, and so the we see was kind of a two-parter first to... Uh, the care that she received, which she posted on Facebook about in which she's not being taken seriously, her, her complaints of, of, uh, of very specific pain. And she's a doctor. So it was like very specific as she was detailing her symptoms, um, and, uh, trying to advocate for herself and needing more remdesivir. Um, that was, she was documenting it on Facebook. Um, so, um, this hospital not only didn't take her seriously, didn't provide um, enough treatment for her, so she ended up dying of COVID. But then they released a statement, um, and the statement was basically like, 
completely unapologetic. Um, the doctor, or the uh, Indiana University of Health President Dennis Murphy, um, defended the hospital treatment of Dr. Moore, um, and he basically like, criticized her, um, saying that the hospital staff was were quote intimidated by her. Um, this is like in the statement by Indiana University of Health. So um, Dennis Murphy says, uh, quote, I also saw several human perspectives in the story she, that's Dr. Dr. Moore, the late Dr. Moore, she told that a physician, um, physicians who were trying to manage the care of a complex patient in the midst of a pandemic crisis where the medical evidence on specific treatments continues to be debated in medical journal, journals and in the lay press. Um, and he said, and the perspective of a nursing team trying to manage a set of critically ill patients in need of care who may have been intimidated by a knowledge, knowledgeable patient who was using social media to voice her concerns and critique the care they were delivering. Um, yeah, like this one seemed really, uh, just gross and disappointing. And, um, many have been pointing out, um, on Twitter and then there was a, there was a Washington post op-ed about it, um, from Dr. Moore's, some colleagues of Dr. Moore's, um, it's been in other places too, but, um, uh, Erica Nicole Kendall on Twitter said, um, Whenever you need to evade accountability, always start with the most accessible stereotype available. This statement screams, quote, she was an angry black woman, which is just feels like the most succinct way to um, to sum that up. Um, just just we've talked about in the past um, the way in which the ways in which the um, medical community doesn't take the pain of black women specifically uh, seriously. And it leads to much higher mortality rates. Um, Maternal mortality is particularly egregious, but in the case of COVID um, there are much higher mortality rates in the black and Brown communities. Um, This also just further shows like, even if it doesn't, this is further backing up, that study from 2018 that said like, it doesn't matter what, um, if you're a person of color, it doesn't matter what your education level is. And this is like a medical, this was a doctor. Um, she was a physician and she was able to specifically say exactly what she needed, what her pain was as she was dying and was not taken seriously. And she died and she was 52. Um, and, um, she wasn't believed. She wasn't respected. And, um, yeah. And I, and, um, so Indiana university, we see you both for the, I I understand it's unimaginably hard to be treating, you know, an onslaught of critically ill patients, but, um, it's your, it's your job. And, um, a statement speaking about one patient, being intimidating because she's trying to document for again like we see this this is um kind of like unthinkable responsibility that um women of color seem to have to bear in mind as they're dying as they're hurting as they're like trying to advocate for themselves they're also trying to record for posterity like what's happened so that it will be better for future people and that there might be consequences if they can manage to live stream their, their pain, um, which is just continues to be incredibly depressing and enraging. So Indiana university health center, we see you. All right. Today in white people being violently racist, let's head over to the lobby of the Arlo hotel in New York. A middle-aged white woman without any cause accused a black teenager of stealing her phone. Uh, The teenager is the 14-year-old son of jazz trumpeter Keon Harold. There's a video online and the woman scratched the father and tackled and grabbed his son. Um, The not yet identified woman, but I'm sure the internet will have figured out quickly, um, demands in the video that 
he give her her phone back and a hotel manager intervenes, but the manager does not tell the woman to fuck off. Instead, they show their implicit bias and they ask the kid to show them that the phone he has is indeed his his phone. Um, an Uber driver arrived shortly afterward, after this woman accosted this child, um, and returned the phone to her. She left it in an Uber. She accused a black child of stealing her phone and tackled him when she left her phone in a fucking Uber. It's like, just let that marinate. My God. A... These events are all too common, and still there are plenty of white people who say racism isn't a thing anymore. Wake Up, a spokesperson for the Manhattan District Attorney Office said that they are thoroughly investigating this incident, which hopefully means charges against this woman. It's... You know, yeah, you saw people like commenting on those articles being, I'm really pissed at the commenters today. (laughs) Just being like, what does race have to do with it? It's like, this is, (laughs) we have so many examples of systemic racism and all the issues that uh, people of color face in their daily lives. And this 14 year old kid, just because he's black, is attacked and accosted and accused of theft when there's no reason and she left her phone in an uber um it's it's just it's ridiculous um we see you we see you it's super it's bad (laughs) for lack of a better word (laughs) um okay so the baltimore police (laughs) we see you to the baltimore police um they have this like spy plane program which vice um vice reported on earlier this month um the ACLU has been suing um, the police to stop this program after uh, an independent audit showed that the police have been making false statements about how this mass surveillance data was being used. Um, It seems like a case where the police has been um, misrepresenting pretty much everything about this program from top top to bottom. Um, They... Uh, made false claims about the how how long um, the data like where the data um, is being stored how long it's being stored um, what exactly uh, what exactly is being surveilled like what the 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 extent of of residents the breach of residents um, civil liberties um, and it's a partnership between the, um, this program is a partnership between the Baltimore police and um, a Ohio-based private company, um, the Persistent Surveillance System, PSS, which I just, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it was an initiative that was paid for um, by a uh, by John Arnold, who's a hedge fund billionaire who used to work for Enron. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's aerial surveillance that, um, also it was sort of first piloted in 2016 and the public was never informed. So, uh, that was sort of a frustration. It's, it's like, so the public was never really informed. Um, there were supposed to be these safeguards, um, when, when the public did find out, um, the cop, the police tried to assuage the public that there were these safeguards that would would protect their civil liberty civil liberties. Um, but of course, it turns out people's civil civil liberties were being violated on a daily basis. Um, and uh, the department said that there would be like independent evaluators of this program. Um, there weren't. Uh, so some of the key findings from a, a review, um, an audit recently showed that the police were using um, this aerial in- imagery to track individuals over multiple days, watch houses belonging to the relatives of persons of interest. Um, and uh, at one in one instance, they watched like a suspect's mother for days without there being a real reason. Um, and it all of this sort of just contradicts the general claims that the police had uh, put forth about exactly what their surveillance um, 
program was and why they were using it, how long the images were being stored. Again, just like basically everything about the images, every, everything about this program. Um, so super, super sketchy. Um, and uh, so to the Baltimore police, we see you. They've been seen. All right. Lastly, on my end, um, I have a little bit of a rant, just a mini rant about the Instagram account Grape Juice Boys, which I've, <laughs> sounds so stupid saying it, but I, I've followed. They've got some funny memes. Um, I'm still following them. I will unfollow them shortly, but I was following them because I wasn't sure if they're private. I don't think they are, but I want to be able to see the memes anyway. <laughs> uh, so I remember back when Bloomberg was running for the Democratic ticket, which feels like 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, they were Bloomberg ads that were really cringe. And I just remember being like, I don't like that. Um, but this week, I saw this post that they made that made me mad. Um, I was also, I was literally PMSing when I saw it, but I was just like, (laughs) theory. So it's this like image of uh, Nancy Pelosi dressed as a butler. And it says, I wish all people struggling for eight months in the middle of a record breaking pandemic, a very $600. Um, Because everyone was, I mean, she, she and the Democrats wanted more, have historically wanted more money for the everyday people. Um, but it is not easy to get that done with when you have to work with certain people. Um, anyway, she made a comment about how at least $600 is something, which, you know, people just roasted her. And they, the thing is, they always, like you said, they always eviscerate Nancy Pelosi. Um, she's not perfect, but I think there's just this, like this uh, hatred of women that comes into play sometimes with it mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like, I don't like, you should have been criticizing Mitch McConnell with that little post, you know, not Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, there's just, like a lot of jokes about hoes, <laughs> which like, come on, are we still like, <laughs> <laughs> just not a fan of that. And then um, there's this, uh, this other one I saw recently, like if you scroll, there's just like a bunch of ones where it's like, oh, this is funny, this is funny, this is funny. And then one we're like, I don't, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it says me with my dog after you guys take the vaccine. And it's like Will Smith and his dog and I am legend implying like everyone's going to die from the vaccine, which, you know, I, people will argue like, oh, just a meme account, it's just jokes. But mm after 2020, after all of these years, like, can we just not spread misinformation and like, you know, fuel anti-vaxxy fires or fuel the idea that like Mitch McConnell's not the problem in most of these legislative situations. It's, and in general, they just, this account has just like very mixed messages. Like they're clearly just like doing it for the clicks, which obviously a lot of Instagram accounts do, but it's just like, if you do not want, if you want to just be like, it's just jokes, man, then don't make, don't like keep it apolitical then, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. post the funny, like nostalgia jokes and memes or like, I love food, you know, like there's all kinds of things outside of politics. So if you, uh, if you can't, if you, if you can't just have some sort of moral compass, you know, but then on, I did want to mention that in their, in their profile, they have a link to the GoFundMe for Breonna Taylor. So it's like, that's great. And that shows like some value. So it's just like, Mm. I just want them to either get all the way there or just post jokes and, you know, good causes and things like that. But just more of a little rant. They just really grind my gears. It's just, yeah. Who are you? (laughs) What are you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, and some of the memes are really funny, you know? It's just... Yeah, those are, I mean, those are the types of things that are so frustrating because it's kind of insidious. So, like, mm-hmm. if a lot of the stuff is funny or innocuous or, like, oh, kind of, like, speaking to something in the moment mm-hmm. that isn't destructive. But then there are some, and I think it just, like, lulls people into, like, oh, that's, well, that's kind of true. Or, I mean, if it's coming from this, like, verified Grape Juice Boys site, it must be, like... <laughs> Verified grape juice boy. (laughs) Verified grape juice boy. Uh, I mean, I definitely have fallen, I think, like, prey to that um, on some accounts that I generally really like. And then 
I see, you know, either on Twitter or Instagram or different social media. And you have to like look twice at the post and think, oh, that's actually not something that I agree with, or that doesn't really align with my values or like, ooh, okay. Um, maybe not, like, maybe I just back slowly away from this. Um, and, and in other instances, maybe I've like given something a like because I just didn't really read it all the way through. You know, I worry, I try not to do that, but I, sure I do sometimes um, because I don't know because I don't know online online stuff online yeah. stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay well um, my last one just had to be uh, Trump's pardons um, or I should say some of Trump's more recent December pardons uh, like last Tuesday he had 15 pardons and five commutations, um, including pardons for four former Blackwater contractors who were involved in a massacre in Iraq, three corrupt former law- Republican lawmakers who we've actually probably, they've all been WCUs at different times, and two people who were convicted in um, Mueller's investigation into Russia interference in the 2016 election, um, and two Border Patrol agents convicted of shooting an undocumented immigrant child. Um, The Blackwater Guards included um, a man who was sentenced to life in prison after being convicted of first-degree murder for his role in the 2007 Nassau Square massacre, where he and other um, Blackwater mercenaries opened fire with machine guns and grenades on a crowded public square um, in Baghdad, killing 17 unarmed civilians, including women and children. Um, and the youngest victim was a nine-year-old. Um, Blackwater, just FYI, is founded by Eric Prince, who is uh, Betsy DeVos's brother. Betsy DeVos being the shitty education secretary that we're stuck with right now. Not for long. With like 17 yachts. Yes, not for long, thank goodness. Um, um, so Trump also pardoned um, Ignacio Ramos and Jose Compian, um, two former Border Patrol agents who were convicted in 2006 of shooting an unarmed um, Mexican man. Sorry, I think I said child before, but I was conflating the child in the Nassau Square massacre. Um, but yeah, so, and then they covered it up. So they shot this unarmed Mexican man and they covered it up. And then... Um, Another pardon was given to George Papadopoulos, who was a 2016 campaign foreign policy advisor who pled guilty to lying to the FBI during the Russian investigation. Um, the three former congressmen who were given pardons or slash commutations were um, all early supporters of President Trump. Um, Duncan Hunter, who pled guilty to misusing campaign funds in rather shocking, in a rather shocking way. Um, he also, he was using he spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars on like at least five mistresses and then had the nerve to throw his wife under the bus for those expenditures, some of those expenditures. Um, yeah, real bad. And like said that like he, he spent a lot of money at like a golf resort and said that it was for, um, like supporting our troops. I mean, he's just like a real piece of shit. And if you Google Duncan Hunter, I mean, you, he might be like a great face to have on a punching bag because he has a punchable face. Um, Chris Collins, who pled guilty to insider trading and like fun fact about him, there was a picture of him like actually insider trading like on the White House lawn during, I think it was like an Easter event. So it was sort of like, he was kind yeah. of, I, yeah, I don't know if he was actually on the hot, on a hot mic, but it was like the day people figured out that it was the morning that he would have been doing the insider trading. <laughs> like, anyway, um, just real smart guy. Uh, and Steve Stockman, who was convicted for stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars in charitable donations. Um, Stockman, this uh, Stockman commutation was uh, and was influenced by um, the lawyer Sidney Powell, who's been helped. You've probably heard her name because she's trying to help Trump overturn the uh, election that we just had. Um, So those are just a few of the people that Trump has um, pardoned. And we are not even at the end of his um, presidency quite yet. So there's, it still remains to be seen kind of who else he's going to pardon. He also pardoned um, Paul Manafort and, 
uh, what was it? Roger Stone. Ugh. Um, rewarding them for their silence um, and basically taking the fall for him. So justice is dead. Um, Historically, and this is um, from the Daily Beast, says it well, presidents use this power. The power to pardon is um, one of the like few really absolute powers that the president has that was kind of built in to the the constitution. And um, it's, kind of an it's just a it's a weird one but um historically presidents um pardon people through a process where there's like appeal after appeal after appeal and there's a review process and they commute sentences of people who it's either been proven that they were innocent or maybe it seemed like they're they'd served enough of their their sentence and um, there were extenuating circumstances that might not have been taken into account. Um, But it's, uh, it's not something where uh, you're pardoning and commuting a lot of your friends who have like political ties to yourself. Um, And um, the daily beast points out that, um, Trump has issued the fewest pardons of any president in the last century, um, and over 90% of them went uh, have been to people who um, have personal or political ties with him. Um, for reference, Obama pardoned over 1,900 people, and they were mostly low-level drug criminals caught in an uh, overly rigid justice system. This is according to the Daily Beast. Um, president Trump has pardoned or commuted 97 people and they are mostly just like people that worked with him and and like um, are in jail because of their association, like with him or you know just like crooked people. So for someone who for for someone who is supposed to be the party of law and order, for someone who is talking about uh, the you know yeah just draining the swamp, party of law and order, respecting law enforcement, it's really like. Mm, this is only for just we know you know it's all coded coded language and it's um you know jail (laughs) you know jail for thee but not for me super frustrating i kind of shudder at who else is going to be pardoned before um before the the day is out as it were yeah we'll see if he tries to like pardon himself and his family and good <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? Trying not to get my hopes up. I, I like that. I like hearing like little occasional little nuggets about the Southern District of New York and like different like state state crimes that he that they might get him for. Um, yes. So anyway, we see you, Trump, and your fucking pardons. You fucking fuck. <laughs> fucking fuck. <laughs> now for a good thing. Um, there is a veterinarian in California who, um, spends his free time driving around and tending to the pets of people who are experiencing homelessness. Mm. And, um, I guess he started to, he doesn't, obviously he doesn't free of charge. He, you know, pays for the equipment and stuff out of his own pocket. Um, and it's just a really wonderful thing. I guess he started doing it in 2007 after, you know, some economic hardships and he's ramped up his efforts a lot um, since the pandemic has started. So, yay. It's always uh, great to see people and animals being helped and people doing good things and just, you know, there are good humans out there who do good for the sake of helping others. And it's just... uh, it's real it's real heartening ain't it real heartening really nice it is nice it's sort of like hopefully if more people actually i don't know one good deed inspires another and uh mm-hmm. it is it's heartening it's nice people all over the world all right love train um guess we'll be back in 2021 yeah oh, well. This uh, oh, episode, oh, oh. <laughs> this episode uh, is like, I think, I feel like I sound as like fatigued as this year has made me. <laughs> you know? I feel you there. I feel yeah. 
Oh, it's, just... it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, but it's over. This year is over, and and there's hope for the new year. And there is. The future's so bright, I gotta wear shades.